Welcome to Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the church, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude toward religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, was teaching pastor at a mega church, and was an executive coach. But now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. Never in my lifetime has politics felt so contentious. I know as a preacher, I'm given the hyperbole, but not this time. This is an ugly, visceral, palpable, and vomit-producing level. It can even make family gatherings stressful, divide generations, and kill any notion of wonderful community. If I know anything about history, it can certainly kill a country, and not a few are suspecting that that is at stake. If that isn't a difficult enough beginning, let's add church into it. I wonder how many people would put politics on the list of things attributed to them moving away from the church, not going to church, or being stressed by the church. This certainly was true for my father. One of my mentors, Steve Brown, used to often say before a sermon, I have a lot of political views, and they're a lot better than yours are, but you aren't going to hear them from the pulpit because this is a place for God's Word, and we've come here to see Jesus and Him only. I loved that for a lot of reasons not the least of which was the humor inserted into something that could otherwise be quite divisive. I followed his lead and was always careful not to get political from the pulpit. I wonder how successful I'd be now if I preached every week. Everything seems to have been thrown into the political basket. On the other side, I had a preacher friend of mine come out publicly about his political views right down to whom he was going to vote for recently. Now, he's retired, and I'm glad he is, but I was embarrassed for him. He waxed eloquently about the wise, but I knew he was alienating people right and left, mostly only to get stroked by those who agreed with him. I prayed for his serenity. Who can help us here? Our guest today is uniquely qualified to speak on this subject. He's one of those reverend doctors. That means he has a doctoral degree and is ordained, and I will let his job title suffice to let us know he's bringing more than personal opinion to this discussion. The Vice President of Theological Initiatives for the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics, Dr. Art Lindsay, welcome to Church Hurts and. It's great to be on with you, John. We've got a long history that goes back, back about 40, 50 years, and it'd be great to just tell all the stories of the interactions that we, we've had. So. Uh, we won't do that now, but some of those stories we won't tar- <laughs> I won't tell at all. But Art, start off by giving us one minute on the meaning of the separation of church and state, and then another minute on why I would agree or disagree with that definition based upon which side of the political aisle I'm on. 
Well, separation of church and state is, of course, a, a big issue, uh, and there are many different views on it. But it's essentially, in early America, it was Jefferson that used the phrase, although others did too, of a wall of separation uh, between church and state. But there are different views that people have had uh, of it. I, I think that uh, the First Amendment really was uh, a unique way to really address the issue. I mean, some people have established religions where there's a state that has an established religion, like in the, in the United Kingdom, you know, the Church of England uh, is there, or in Norway, you've got the Lutheran Church, or Germany has an established church, or other places do as well. But in America, they decided not to have a disestablishment uh, of church and state, where you, there was no official state religion. Of course, the First Amendment Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And therefore, there's a tension there. One, on the one hand, no established religion, no denomination or type of religion has predominance, uh, but then nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And there's always that struggle uh, between the two. What, uh, how do you balance those two perspectives? In, in early America, it's interesting there, that there were, even though there wasn't a national religion, there were state churches, established churches in some of the states. So uh, there was not a total division between the two. So uh, isn't, there, isn't there a tension as well to say there won't be anything on the establishment of re religion, but we're one nation under God? So it's almost like, oh, but you got to be a theist. Well, where's, there, this, there, where's this thing about protection of non-theists? Yeah, there has been uh, a struggle between uh, how far the, the state ought to be divorced from any kind of religion. There is that, as you mentioned, uh, under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. There's in God we trust on the dollar bills. Uh, I was married, uh, as you remember, since you were there, by the Senate chaplain. And, of course, the fact that there's a Senate chaplain, many people object to that. So every session of the Senate and the House is started with prayer. Now it's almost mandatory in a political speech to say, God bless America at the end. So that on the one hand, there's not established religion, but religion, uh, pe people in the state are not to be hostile to religion. It's freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. There are those, on the other hand, that want to do away with in God we trust and under God and do away with the Senate and House chaplain and that kind of thing. So that's where the debate uh, often goes uh, in our time. Now, there have been various examples in history of, of really close relationships between church and state. One, uh, Calvin uh, in Geneva, there was a very close relationship. And one of the, uh, I'm very much for Calvin in many ways. I've studied Calvin a great deal and have benefited a lot from learning from him. But on the other hand, you have one blot uh, on, on his uh, record is the death of Servetus, who was a heretic. And that started a great debate on toleration throughout history. Uh, or you think okay, Oliver, let, let, let's, just let's one be, more story of okay, Oliver, good. Oliver Cromwell, who won the English mm -hmm. Civil War, and he had King Charles put to death. And he really inst instituted, from a Christian perspective, a very harsh and legalistic uh, approach to putting his faith into practice. So sometimes when Christians have gotten in power, they have not been very good in terms of their uh, toleration or willingness to be able to deal with people that are different from them. 
And we could really get lost into um, historical illustrations of how people work that out differently. I, I know, Art, I was really surprised when I felt the difference uh, a handful of years ago when I traveled to Romania and did some uh, and went to Greece and and even in Germany, but particularly um, in Romania, the notion of the separation of church and state, a nation that had been identified really as an atheist nation officially because of communism. Um, they made the state religion atheism, if you will. And yet the people there um, very much considered themselves Orthodox Christians because they were Romanian. But rather than kind of get into the different um, aspects of that throughout history, let's jump 2,000 years. What does the Bible specifically say? Because I feel like as Americans, we have this God and country kind of view, the separation of church and state even built into us. Does the Bible say anything about church and state? Bible says quite a lot, and I've actually written a, a fair amount about it. There's a little book you could get. It's on Amazon called Free Indeed, where I talk a little bit about freedom uh, in general, and then also political, economic, and religious freedom uh, as well. But there's quite a bit in the Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, there was a theocracy that God per permitted uh, a king, like in 1 Samuel 8, the warning people about the dangers of that that king would bring, that he would take your sons for the military, your daughters to be cooks and bakers, uh, the best of your fields and your vineyards, take a tenth of your grain, a tenth of your flock, but it ends up and you will become slaves. So there's that great danger, even in a theocracy, of a loss of freedom. That so theocracy... And absolute power corrupts absolutely, you might say. And you also see it in Solomon, who started well, but then by the end of his reign was really had very harsh taxation policies that were so severe that at the when he died, his son Rehoboam was counseled by the elders to take it easy on the people of Israel. But yet some of his young friends came in there and said, no, I'd stick it to them even more. And so Rehoboam chose that route, and it led to the whole divided kingdom. I mean, he basically lost a lot because he wouldn't wouldn't back off of some really severe, harsh taxation and practices. Okay, I'm trying to get a little more fundamental, though. On the theocracy, you're just used to using the word, but basically you're talking about a nation that says God's number one, God's the ruler, supposed to be God's rule. In this case, you had the explicit commandments and laws given of what we know really from the Pentateuch. So the... Um, the Jewish state was a theocracy, but we're told here, just like the kings in the Old Testament, that our rulers are under God as well. How's that different than a well, theocracy? Well, it's different from theocracy, but the New Testament seems to have a different note. Of course, it was written into the context of Roman rule, but you've got Romans 13, and then First Peter 2.14, and First. Timothy 2.1, which basically argued that the role of the state is protection of life and property, but it's particularly to punish the evildoer and to give praise to those who do right. So that's that's the particular role of the state. Or you have Jesus, who has perhaps the most profound statement there that he gives where uh, goes through a whole narrative, but he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar, Caesar's, 
and give to God what is God's. That's pretty profound because there's a place for what government can have and there's a place for what God can have, but you can't give to Caesar what is God's. So there is that kind of limited government or separation there. Uh, It shouldn't be co-mixed in any kind of thorough way. Isn't it interesting that you really don't see Jesus addressing the issue of nationality um, the way we think of it, or even political frameworks the way we think of it. There's a division, render under Caesar, yes. But if we wanted to say, you know, would Jesus um, be an advocate for any certain forms, we really have to take principles, because in his time, he did not say, um, oh, I'm going to take pride, as the Apostle Paul at one point did, of being a Roman citizen. Or you don't see anything, I don't think, in the New Testament that gives you the impression, oh, gee, well, let's, um, let's get Greeks and let's get Romans and let's get Jewish people and somehow make a different kind of state. You really don't see that kind of state identity or political identity, do you? Well, no, you don't. And, and basically, the the teaching of the New Testament really speaks against kind of racial division, Jew, Jew and Greek, slave and free, uh, male and female. Uh, and there's an, a kind of equality, even slave and free. You've got the... the uh, that was pretty radical in those days to make those kinds of statements because there was such animosity there between uh, different uh, races or ethnic groups and uh, different perspectives, different classes, you might say. So this is Church Hurts Art. And um, what we do is we really talk about how the church blows it a lot and realize that a lot of people um, are driven away from spirituality because of bad experience in the church. And when I mentioned in the intro um, that politics has a role in that, when I look in my lifetime, um, I can think of that in about three different forms. One is you had the conservative moral majority that really got a lot of press back in the 80s and a, a, a certain brand of fundamentalism that was really eager to identify itself with a political party, and, and affiliations, and that was a huge turnoff to a whole nother portion of the country. And yet my experience personally was what I mentioned in the intro as well, was in a very evangelical but Protestant, broadly Protestant context, where they said, no, you know, we have our views, but you're not going to hear it from the pulpit. And I always saw the, the liberal wing uh, in the mainstream church as being much more open about being overt about political yeah, allegiances. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. I felt like the conservatives were the or the fundamentalists with the Jerry Falwell moral majority were getting criticized openly, and yet the liberal church seemed to be doing the same thing. Yeah, we, uh, my wife and I have a, a ministry that we work together with both Democratic uh, and Republican leaders, including congressmen and senators, and that kind of thing. And then also the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics, even though the principles are clear and lean in a particular direction, we don't make any political statements and don't take sides on political issues or policy issues, that kind of thing. But I think it's unwise for the church to get embedded on that kind of thing. There could be, as the Bible speaks to it, speaks to an issue, obviously, it can be expounded along the way. But on the other hand, 
I think it's much better if the church sticks to the fundamentals of faith and the fundamental principles. I mean, I'm part of a denomination that has a, as a motto, uh, in things essential, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. Uh, and, you know, certainly people can have and do have, even believers, even evangelical believers, have very profound differences on political uh, issues and both uh, Democrat and Republican. And I think it's important that you stick to the fundamental ideas and really put forward the gospel because the uh, when when you get into specific political issues, you're going to alienate maybe half let's, your congregation or, or whatever the percentage is. Let's let's do the putting the cookies on the bottom shelf here. Why, if I'm right, there's an assumption in this question. Why do liberal churches theologically tend to be liberal politically? And conservative churches theologically tend to be conservative politically. What's the what's the bottom shelf here? Why? Well, there there are certain views that uh, the liberal perspective ends up leading towards. I mean, I don't want to go into the particular issues because I suppose uh, it would lead me down the political route. But obviously, there are differences on issues like abortion, uh, same-sex marriage, taxation. Uh, well, okay, I want to go. I all all go. those kinds of things that there are real differences between the two, and there's a kind of the liberal perspective pushes you in one direction, but the but conservatives the, but don't usually the, address those issues. You know, what's the under what's the underlying issue though? I mean, isn't it that basically from 19th century philosophical liberalism, you have a different view of man um, than we than the typical Christian view in terms of is man fundamentally sinful yes, or is man fundamentally good? I think that's what I was kind of searching for. Or I was, oh, right. Well, you know, there's my a professor, Dr. Gerson used to say that liberalism is uh, man is not so bad and God is not so mad, you know, <laughs> or, or you have the classic thing as if I can remember the H uh, Richard Niebuhr, a God without wrath uh, uh, brings uh, God without wrath brings man without sin, and through the ministrations of Christ without the cross, you know, and it goes on. But, I mean, there, there's a whole antithesis of belief there. There's there's a orthodox evangelical Christianity, but liberalism really holds a whole different view of God, Christ, salvation uh, from those those that are held by okay, throw, classical uh, believers. So throw on your pastoral hat. If people haven't turned on, the, uh, turned off the radio already because they sense one thing or another that has made this, oh, they're just coming from this perspective, and I think Donald Trump is awful, or I think Joe Biden, Biden is terrible. Why aren't they naming names and, and, you know, taking hostages? Put on your pastoral hat. What do you do with people in your life um, who really hold that radically different views from yourself and insist on talking about them and bringing up in times, you know, just wrecking family gatherings. Um, even in church, people are ready to just separate ways because somebody said the wrong thing in the wrong place. How do you handle that? It's very difficult right now. It's such a divisive moment, such a lot of emotion and maybe hatred on both sides of the issue. And I generally try to keep things uh, 
try to love people and maybe if they start talking about it, listen to them. And if, if you can have a profitable discussion, you might be able to do so. But many times you can't. You got to decide that you just have to listen and say, uh, I love you. I mean, there's a, you could take whatever position you want. I mean, Trump is a flawed con- candidate and Biden is a flawed candidate too. And so sooner or later, it comes down to the issues that you decide to really engage. The, the great problem is that you can't have real discussion of the issues. I mean, C.S. Lewis has an essay called Bulverism, and I won't go through the whole thing, but it's basically the idea that people tend to reject and name call or put psychological labels on their political opponents rather than try to refute uh, what their views are. They don't really deal with issues and try to try to demonstrate that their perspective is right. Because if you do that, you might actually lose the debate. It's much more convenient to stay at a distance and call names from both sides. And and that's okay. that's not a it's not a good situation. We're particularly in that kind of moment now, where people mm-hmm. are so hostile that there's even a willingness to tell lies. <laughs> tell me this, um, and and we're gonna have to run soon. But you know, when I gave you a job title, that was just that's a mouthful. Um, you work for the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. Now that does not roll off the tongue. Um, how how do how do they go together? What's that? Faith, work, and economics. Yeah, well, uh, the, the three basic principles we hold to are freedom, fulfillment, and flourishing. Freedom, political, economic, and religious freedom. I don't think a nation is going to really thrive or uh, be uh, flourishing without political freedom, economic freedom, and religious freedom. Freedom as opposed to bondage and slavery. Fulfillment as opposed to frustration. Flourishing as opposed to poverty. All right, so that those ideas are really core to what we do. And we've got a whole lot of books out there. We've got a book called For the Least of These, A Biblical Answer to Poverty that I co-edited. Another one was on Christian Perspectives on Capitalism that looks at all the moral objections to capitalism. Another one called Set Free, Restoring Religious Freedom for All, which is a biblical argument for religious freedom for all. Uh, And another book I have, Free Indeed, is a short one. Another book, Be Transformed, and there's some other. uh, Basically, I'm I'm hearing the concept that faith is not to be relegated to um, a set of rules or morality or church dismissed into a corner as the rest of life in economics and politics and everything else goes on but they actually should have an intersection and that's going to take some work right yes there needs (laughs) to be a connection i mean the kingdom of god means god's rule and reign we pray thy kingdom come thy will be done we're saying that god's rule and reign christ's lordship be brought to bear in all of life Uh, wondering paul paul are you um are you around? Uh, because I you know, am. I'm. Was... I'm fascinated by this discussion. Um, I, I'm. I'm uh, pleased to hear that there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer here, which too often there is in these discussions. Well, this is the way it is, and that's the way it should be. And uh, I'm hearing a. Uh, I, 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 I suspect both of you are coming from a conservative point of view, but I'm not hearing the typical conservative talking points that or liberal talking points that, that drive everybody crazy here. 
Hey, let us see your face. Okay. Um, what, are you going to throw think, something at me here or something? No. Well, we are, you know, we do, we do put this up on YouTube in addition to uh, uh, out on the podcast. Because I'm the rhino in the room. I'm the one that would be most likely to be bothered by uh, what I thought you were going to be discussing here. Which I, I think the genius of, the four, of, of our founders, whether or not they realized it or not, was trying to take religion off the table. Um, from politics, so that you could have Jews and Muslims, Protestants and Catholics, non-believers and believers all live together in one country here without killing each other, which they've done for, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Catholic, so obviously the Protestants and Catholics fought for four or five hundred years. Uh, and, and I think that's what they were reacting to. Let's, let's not make I, religion I, part of it. I think that that's true, but on the other hand, I would say that in America, the way it's set up in the First Amendment, Believers ought to be able to bring their faith to bear in the public arena. That religiously based moral values, whatever opinion you have, I mean, yeah, I agree. You can have opposing opinions as to what that is, but religiously based moral values should not be excluded from the public debate. And, and yet, oh, I should say this is a bomb thrower comment here because I'm. It's well known I'm not a big Trump fan here. Yet, when when Romney used that as his excuse to vote against to vote for impeaching Trump, he said, "My religion requires me to to look at this. If I'm true to my religious values, then I have to. Even though I don't want to, I've got to do this." And and Trump immediately said, "I don't trust anybody that brings religion in." At the prayer breakfast, he said, "I don't people that bring religion into their political views." Well, I think on, that it's, it's necessary, at least faith-based moral values. I mean, right. most people get their moral values based upon faith. I completely so, agree. So uh, if you excluded that, there's a book called Naked Public Square by Richard Newhouse that argues very persuasively that if the public square were really naked, that is uninformed by uh, religiously-based moral values, it would be a disaster for America. Can I ask a, another bomb-thrower question here? And right. I, I, I don't necessarily have the answer, but I think it's one of the underlying things nobody wants to go to. Let's talk about politics here in America. Can America still be America if it's a nation of, pick, pick your thing, non-believers? If, if, are we all still Americans if we're non-believers? Because, I mean, that's the way the whole Western world is moving, not necessarily towards, they're just moving away from religion in general. That's the whole purpose. Post, post-Christian era. Well, yeah, the post-Christian era. The question is whether, uh, if there are not, I mean, often atheists borrow Christian values, you know, right. and so they, they borrow Christian values and deny God. But on the other hand, uh, you have the classic thing of 1776 versus 1789. 1789, the French Revolution had a view of freedom that was totally divorced from uh, religion mm-hmm. and from uh, virtue. In fact, they, they said that they wanted to strangle the last king with the guts of the last priest. Yeah, on, right. the, on the other hand, the you had the uh, classic American founding founding fathers had what Oz Guinness, a friend of mine, called the Golden Triangle: that freedom requires virtue, virtue yes. requires faith, faith requires freedom. So, can you have America without virtue? And can you have virtue without faith? That's a question for discussion. I've got a whole book called True Truth on that that really addresses that and, and various other things. So. so are we a nation that, uh, are we a Christian nation or are we a nation of Christians? If we're a nation of Christians, then, it, then we could be a nation of anything. We could be a creation, a nation of non-believers. So the, that's not central to the... One nation under God, go back to elementary school. 
I know. I understand. But it's a nation that's informed by biblically based values, put it that way. Yeah. It's not an established religion that is there in America in the First Amendment. But it's based upon there are a lot of biblical values, virtues that are rooted in the founding of America. Talk about a little bit the faith of our fathers, because the more I read up, and I'm a history major, and the more I read about the Jeffersons of the world and stuff, they believed in God, but a different view than I do. I mean, it was a removed God. It was a deist view. The God's up there somewhere, but he's not really going to get involved in our day-to-day activities here. At least that's what I understand of deism. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there were some that were more deists in the, in the early church, but on the other hand, even Jefferson understood and went to worship services and understood the place of, uh, say, Christian values to be present in America, even though he wasn't explicitly, I guess. Has there ever been a country, one of the things I think it does make us so unique, and I suspect makes us exceptional, is this notion of everybody can get along here. Everybody can, somehow we're going to, because we're not going to pick sides in the religious debate, we're not going to have an established religion, we're not going to support one religion over another here, at least publicly, that it allows this huge flux of people who normally are fighting together, fighting all the time over their religious views to come together. Uh, did they really get what they were doing, or was this just a reaction to and hundreds of years of Protestants and Catholics fighting and and therefore splitting into camps that, were, that this is a Protestant state, this is a Catholic state? You talk about Oliver Cromwell killing the, the Catholic king, you know to hopefully kill Catholicism in the country here. I think I think they knew what they were doing, and it was really important to the Founding Fathers, the kind of principles on which it was based, although they weren't always consistent in working out those principles in the way they lived out their lives, but that's another whole discussion. But, you know, I think they did want to have uh, civility. Right. They did want to have a kind of love between people that really differed. They did want to have a fairness in terms of how they put forward different views. I mean, be, being able to understand another person's view, and but be able to argue, sometimes vigorously, against it, but without hatred and without yeah. name-calling and rancor, although, obviously, you look through the whole history of America, and there was a lot of that. Yeah. Go back to Washington and Adams and, and uh, <laughs> all the way up Lincoln and Brandt and... They fought yeah. duels over that stuff in those days. Uh, Hamilton yeah, got shot high, in the a duel. Hostility <laughs> was really great. The press was almost as bad as it is today on both sides. I think we should bring back dueling. I think that would answer the whole thing here. We just <laughs> All right, on that tone, we got to wrap. <laughs> I always know it's dangerous. I'll come in here. And, well, that was and good, I, though. I'm glad you raised those questions. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't being flip when I said go back to elementary school. The whole thing of thinking about one nation under God, when we talk about the separation of church and state, oftentimes we forget that we're not supposed to talk about the separation of the state from God. Right. And so, um, you know, if you want to know more about art, um, the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics, if you can remember that, good for you, because the T I If we, I-F-W-E, if we, if we do this, we do this. No, but the website is T. I F W E Tiffwe. Right. That's what you're saying. Right. Dot org, and you can um, find out a whole lot more. Um, and then, before we go, I would like to say a word about how we develop our view of the world and how we may change as time goes on. And we're going to talk afterwards. 
and probably record a little bit of it. Who knows what we'll get Art to be able to say, but um, you can see some of that on Facebook where we put the after shows from time to time. When I said Facebook, it's uh, YouTube. Um, basically, youtube.com slash John A. Bash. John A. Bash. But it seems to me that our life is lived constantly weighing and evaluating one priority in light of another one. I love good food. I love to have a gym body. Each of those priorities war within me every day. When it comes to other apparently more important issues of life, I usually have to ask where I'm going to get my perspective. I'm just a perspective guy. Is it going to be from what feels good at the moment? If it feels good, do it. Is it going to be just what I was taught a certain way growing up? Father knows best. Is it to be because I want to be a good American, God and country? Is it going to be because I'm a Christian? What would Jesus do? Many of us can point to one unique person in life or one class we took or one book we read which pointed us in the direction in which we now travel. I had a theology teacher in high school. That's right, theology in high school. Imagine that. It wasn't a formal class or anything. I went to a public school. We met in an Eaton Park or a Denny's, and the teacher was a seminary student who drove across the city to be available to kids who went to Young Life in Pittsburgh and wanted to know more about the Bible. He wasn't even the leader. He was just available. We could talk about anything from sex to the Bible, to church and girls. He introduced me to C.S. Lewis and Martin Luther, R.C. Sproul and Francis Schaeffer. When my father told me I couldn't major in religion in college, this man did his homework for me and suggested philosophy, a recommendation I would take and be thankful for throughout life since. Sometimes I wonder about that man's choices back in those days to so generously give of his time to kids when he was a busy graduate student. He didn't have to do that. Didn't even get paid. I think about him today, and I did think about him today as we talk about politics because you've been listening to that guy. Art Lindsley has been hanging out with people all of his life, and on that list are people whose names you would know, major politicians and influence makers who found art to be a man worth stopping their life for and asking questions together about God. In some cases, it significantly changed their views of public policy, their families, and their mission in life. Too many shows on politics end, ends with just vote. Not this one. Today, I encourage you to get deeper. Pray. Consider who you might touch today by reaching out and spending time with them and talking about God. He is a way of making all discussions a lot more interesting. And it's worth a thought. This is John Bash. Well, <laughs> that was worth a thought, for sure. That brings us to the end of this edition of Church Hurts and. Next week, it's rumored we'll be walking on the edge of controversy stirring the pot of denial and finding movement of the divine in unlikely places. Be sure and join us. 